shiver in the dark. It's raining in the park. But meantime, Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Swing Thoughts. This country's shining beacon of golf information slash life lessons. Uh, I'm Howard Glassman, golf spiritual leader, along with the uh, coach, the coach, Tim O'Connor, and another episode of this program brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, and brought to you by all things Tim O'Connor. He is the uh, mental performance coach at the Glen Abbey Golf Academy. As well, you can uh, consult with him privately, as I often do. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello friends. <laughs> I almost said hello, Fred, because I was thinking of friends, like a tradition like any other, the Humble and Fred radio show. Thank you, you should very much. all listen to because it's very funny. Well, um, thank you, and uh, welcome. Uh, Tim O'Connor can be had. Tim dot uh, O'Connor. What is it? <clears throat> okay, on our sixtieth show. Hey, I got a lot of. Stuff. I have a lot of things in my know. mind. It's O'ConnorGolf.ca. Yeah, what's my email? Uh, HubbleandFredRadio.com. No. 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 Oh my God. Really? Really? That's what it says on your freaking website. It says my our email is uh, humble and Fred at humble and Fred Radio at humble and Fred Radio. My personal email, if you want to correspond with me, it's humblehoward at gmail dot com. And even though I'm not a professional, I am available for consultations. You're a semi professional. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> let me throw something at you. Do you feel as I do? That uh, as this month has worn on, that the golfer within starts to awaken. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 tradition like any other. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm I'm all right. As, 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 okay, you asked for as, it. Here as it the is. The PGA Tour shifts from the West Coast and they leave the POA and all that out there, and then they shift to Florida. It's all just a big warm up. It's all like spring training for the yeah. Masters. And we're just gearing up for that. And March, you know, in this part of the country, we're in the northern climate. It teases with us. It shows us a little spring, takes it away. And, yeah, golfers just start just getting champing at that bit and getting out the golf clubs go, oh, need to get these regripped. And, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. You know, I, I guess every year, like a lot of my friends have been – I'll get rid of the Masters thing. A lot of my friends have been playing constantly – throughout the winter either they play uh, a bunch of guys meet every saturday and they play indoor golf on the <clears throat> on the yeah. simulator things and some of our mutual friends uh go away the entire winter yeah and um i don't know i i, I think it for me because i grew up out west I, I only golfed you know half the year living in ontario you get a, a more extended season but i don't know that i want to I like the three-and-a-half-month layoff, the December, January, February. It's just been recently. The last couple of weeks, I've started swinging a club again. Probably have had a club in my hand every day in some fashion, whether it's just walking the dog or going out and hitting some chips. But I like the the reawakening of it. And um, and I think what, what I'd like to start with today, from a coaching perspective, what are some of the things that you'd like to get your guys and maybe some of the things we can pass on to our guys that they can start to think about again um, in terms of uh, 
you know, reawakening the golfer? Well, one of the, it's interesting is that I had a discussion with a guy, uh, a client, a few weeks ago, and he said that without fail, his first two first two couple of games of the year is like always one of his best, and and then <laughs> because he's just happy to be out there, he's just like, oh wow, it's great to be out here again and hit the ball off green grass and all of that and. And he's not encumbered with, oh, uh, you know, my swing plane's off and I've got to work on my pronation or is it actually my supination, whatever. And he's just happy to be out there. And I think that it's being able to take that kind of like mindset throughout your game all year to be able to, to just have – just to go into a game and just be happy you play, enjoy what you're doing. But you do everything you can to prepare – you know, you, you you work on your game off off the course and make sure your your equipment's right and you're setting intentions and all that. But going out and playing golf, the the, the problem with the winter is people become really a lot of like really hardcore golfers. They're working on the sim and, <laughs> no, and they're, they're getting the smash factor right and oh, is my swing playing correct? And they take that uh, concern with mechanics and they they shift right into the golf season. And that, to me, is just a recipe for self-interference. You know, there was a time a couple of years ago where I did that all winter. I literally never took a break. I was in the, you know, the Glen, Glen Abbey. If you're into this, it's one of the best things you can do. You sign up. Clublink offers this program where you can basically practice all winter at the Abbey. They have sort of an indoor uh, area there and it's pretty good and I went there almost like three times a week oh I get it I, yeah. I was there all winter and then what you just said resonated so much with me and I think others too when I came out to do the golfing in the spring I was just so caught up in all that stuff I've been working on number one and number two it set a weird expectation and we've talked about this. My expectation was, well, I've tried so hard all winter. <laughs> I got it. I got oh, yeah. it. I've had two thoughts. I got it. And boy, better it better be there when I start playing because I sure I worked. Because why else would I have spent 100 days, you know, <laughs> looking at myself on video, which I want to puke almost every time I see it. But you know what I mean? It was it was yeah. weird. It was the opposite of what you said. When you start playing again in the spring. And I've had that feeling where, wow, I'm really playing some good golf in like middle of the of middle of April, and you'd like to keep because all you have is gratitude and uh, and uh, you know you're just happy to be out of the winter. Yeah, it's done finally. Prison, I'm out. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, you know I've, yeah. I've done scratching like the lines on the on the uh, on the wall of my prison cell. But that's right. You, that's really funny. You've, you've, you've scratched off the days with the lines at every five or whatever your system was. Oh, I survived December. Oh, January, February, March. Oh, my gosh. Now I'm free. Um, the problem with uh, there's there's a benefit to keeping swinging through the winter. You keep those golf muscles relaxed and and you keep kind of your muscle tone and and, and stay connected to swinging. And that kind of thing is great. Um, and you, and I think you can work on things like say alignment and whatnot, but the the danger with that type of stuff is that you are working on golf swing because you're not un, unless you're hitting in domes, you're not really hitting you're not hitting golf shots. But and if I may that, interject just quickly though, isn't yeah. that if you're going to do that, that's the time to do it? 
if you're yes, going to work on your golf swing. But as you please continue, because you're going to say the danger of that is you spend three and a half months just thinking golf swing and haven't thinking golf play very much. That's right. So because uh, most the reason most of us play golf, like the the people who in people who listen to this podcast and avid golfers, they yeah they. They're playing. They want to shoot low scores. They want to be the best they can be. So, but no one ever keeps score on how good your golf swing was, <laughs> and it comes from hitting golf shots. And so that's the problem with hitting into nets and that type of thing. And and again, even in hitting, don't you've always got this perfect lie. And golf is rarely from a perfect lie and hitting twenty seven irons in a row. Um, okay, quickly, I got a couple things. Yesterday, I was on my way to uh, St. Catharines from Toronto. For you people who aren't from this area, it's about an hour 20. Beautiful night. I was on my way there to do some comedy. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I uh, <laughs> I, um, I called in to PGA Tour Radio. I've done this a couple of times. Oh, yes, yes. I've called, I called into them. My show that I call in mostly is McGinnis and Catrick. On tap, it's uh, Brian Catrick is a broadcaster, and John McGinnis is a former tour player. And uh, they put me on yesterday, and we were just sort of, you know, shooting the breeze and talking about Tiger. Um, which I, th- I, I know it sounds strange. I talk on the radio every day, but I was a little, ner- <laughs> I was a little nervous. I always get a little bit weirdly nervous calling into this golf show because they're golf guys, and I want to come off like a, I don't want to be a dweeb. You're cool, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, that was kind of a thrill. But I, what I what I thought of you when I thought of you later was on my way home from the gig around ten o'clock at night. I listened to this other show on PGA Tour Radio, and one of the guests on the show was a former high level, you know, U.S. amateur player, uh, now coaching at a high high level, has worked with some tour players. But the topic was how to save strokes, and it was almost from the the Swing Thoughts Handbook. And I thought you well, I thought you'd find it interesting because what this guy said was people that shoot in the high eighties or in the nineties even can shoot in the low eighties, basically our formula for minimizing um mistakes as a as an entry the point I'm trying to make in a not a very good way is their whole thing was strategy is what saves strokes, not swings. Right. He made an interesting point, this kid. This guy, he's one of the senior guys at the Jim McLean School in Texas now. I wish I could remember his name. Anyway, what he said was that once you can shoot in the low 90s, how you do from 100 or 125 yards in determines your score. And what he said was, again, from the Swing Thoughts Handbook, he said if you're 100, let's say you're a 15 handicap. If you're 100 yards from the green, no matter when that happens on a par 4, it might be you're hitting your third shot. On a par five, it doesn't matter. He said, if you can get down in three from 100 yards, then you're going to make a lot of bogeys, some pars, but you'll minimize the doubles and triples. And I was listening to it thinking, I wish Timmy could hear this because it's exactly what we've been saying for a long time, but we haven't said it for a long time. Well, it just makes so much sense. And like, but what? Are, where do people practice? They go to the range and they're working on the driver, um, and all because you know it's it's exciting. You want to see how far you hit it. So, but it kind of depends on why are you playing. So, as an avid player, most people want to score the best they can. So, investing in that part of your game, hundred yards in, just makes so much sense. Right. Um, so, like almost from a from an emotional standpoint. Um, it's fun to hit the ball solid. I mean, it's easier, way easier to do that. Um, and 
it can be fun, but it filters through the rest of your game. You start to hit the ball solidly with your wedges, that that, that filters through the rest of your game. And But really is, in scoring, it's all about the short game. And, and you know, it was interesting listening to this kid. Kid, he's in his you know early 30s. That's another thing I've noticed as I've gotten... <laughs> Your pension to call anyone under 40 yeah. a kid? I actually called a 40-year-old kid recently. I'm like, how'd that yeah. happen? Um, and what, this gentleman, what this gentleman was saying uh, was just that even for and – I, and I thought it would apply to even better players. But, you know, if you're, if you're on a par four and you've had a, a, a not a very good drive and you've pitched it out somehow to 100 and 125 yards – if you can get it in the hole in three shots, even if you miss the third shot, but hit it in a place where you can chip up and make bogey, you know, if you do that, you're, you're shooting 90, basically. And, mm-hmm. and with that mindset, those pars that you make, because you're, if you're a 15 or 18 handicap, you're making a couple of pars. And all of a sudden, now you're shooting 87 instead of 93. And right. you've done nothing. You've drawn no lines. You've, you're not using alignment rods. You're just using your own swing. Your own strategy is what we used to preach a lot of on the show. And I thought, you know, maybe that's a conversation that I know you obviously have with some of your players, but some of our listeners to remind them in the spring that the idea is to is to minimize. Well, Hank Haney always says that trying to minimize your three putts, your penalty strokes and your double chips. And what he means by that is if you're by a par four and two and you chip twice to get it on the green, now you're making double where you could have made a par or bogey. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's way more fun, you know, to to play like that, to to manage your game. The, but you know, it depends again why you play. Some people just that's why they play. It's like tin cup. They're going for everything. You know, you take that away, they don't want to play. Fine. But for the majority of players, they want to have, they want to shoot. They're competitive, so they want to shoot a score. So it's about making smart shots, and and you get rewarded for that. And and you develop that skill. But there's another reason why focusing on, say, 100 yards in makes a ton of sense throughout your entire game is that what happens is, is when you like swing and driver and longer clubs, it's harder to feel what's going on. And because you're swinging, you're swinging much faster and longer. When you swing with your wedges, you're swinging – usually you can swing – slower and a shorter swing so you can feel it a Mm -hmm. lot more and you can feel what's going on and when you start to get that sense of what it takes for solid contact that starts to percolate through your entire game and so that's like a like here's like a swing slot tip if you will um when you're say working on the range and you start to lose your feel go make the swing shorter and slower Mm always slow it down so you can feel it and what happens is people get disconnected from the club they don't even have the feeling just quickly and, you know you're you're well i've been doing this for years but I'm, I, I learned this years ago when i would get through my bag and i'd be on my longer irons or I'd get to my driver and i and i'd lose the like i'd be practicing and all of a sudden it's like where did it go I would, mm-hmm. imme- I would immediately, whatever I was hitting, I'd go back and hit the shortest club. I'd hit like a wedge or a, a nine iron just to feel the club face again. But the other thing that doing, the other thing that managing your game does for you psychologically is, you know, getting it in the hole in three from 100 or whatever the yardage is. You know, it might be for the higher handicappers, 80 yards for the better players, you know, 130 or something. But what it does is it keeps 
the round in front of you. Because, yes. you know, even, you know, good players, double bogeys are a drag. For, you know, higher handicappers, triple bogeys are a drag. And if you can, li- like, if you can minimize those, because, listen, I'm, I'm a decent player. I've had rounds where, you know, the front nine has gone by and I've made four bogeys and, and you know, uh, five pars, but I still feel like I, I have a chance. But if you make three do- bogeys and a double and you haven't made any birdies, it's like, ah, you know, it's like, it, it's yeah. like the day's getting away from you. So it does two things. It connects you with your swing, but it keeps you connected to the game, and you, you don't feel like you've lost any momentum. Yeah, well said. Yeah, it's, it's really fun when you, can, when you can start getting the ball up and down, and it filters through your entire game, yeah. for sure. Well, but putting also is really not that difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's a great – I was going to say, that's a good segue. I want to hear what you thought about – because you just basically said – what happened? At, we're, we're taping the show on Saturday, March 17th. So Tiger's just played his second round at Bay Hill. I want to talk Tiger. Um, but what you just said, he, he didn't hit it very well yesterday in the second round. But he got up and down. His short game is Tiger 2008. And yep. his long game is just developing. But look, mm-hmm. and, and, and so continue. For, for all players, whether you're Tiger Woods or the rest of us, that ability... Is something to be cultivated. Yeah, I mean, hitting a driver is a hard thing to do. You got like, what's the shaft, what, 45 inches long and it's fast. So it's hard to control that. But as you go down in the clubs, the the shafts get shorter, um, they get heavier, so you can maintain that feel, but it's also just easier. So that's why um, when I work, say, with a beginner, we start on the putting green, because it's, e- it's an easier shot to make, and everyone can generally do that and so you get a sense of confidence, get the ball in the hole, get it close. That filters through the rest of your game, and you build from that. Well, I mean, so it's been five weeks now since Tiger Woods was the, I don't know, 1900, 1900th player yeah, in the world. Yeah, exactly. Whatever that stat was, I think it was like 1,099, and now he's inside the top 150. I, I don't know where he is now, but it's been remarkable. But he's had some good ball striking. But if you look at him statistically, he is he is back to like Tiger Woods level short game, which is ironic because in his previous previous comeback attempts, the one a couple years ago when he was chili oh, dipping yeah. chips and yeah, the chip yips, and everyone thought it was over, right? Myself included. I, I remember telling some non golf friends, I said, you know, when that starts to creep into your game, it can be a long road back. If, right. it, well, sometimes you never come back. Now look at VJ Singh. <laughs> look at VJ Singh. Yeah. He's chipping cross-handed. Really? I yes. didn't even know that. Yes. Oh my golly! He's chipping cross-handed. VJ Whatever works, folks. But my point yeah. is, so here we have Tiger Woods, who is, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. The uh, past weekend at the Valspar, where he almost oh. won. The Saturday ratings for NBC were the highest Saturday numbers in five years. And then the broadcast itself was the highest non, the the Sunday numbers were the highest non-major. I'm going to screw this up, but basically they were unprecedented ratings. Well, let me ask you, uh, what was it like for you watching on Saturday? That was like appointment television. Yeah. I had my butt on my couch at 3 o'clock on Saturday till 6. I hadn't done that in like maybe since the last major. Mm-hmm. I mean, just 
I mean, it's the old cliche, but Tiger moves the needle. And I was thinking about, you know, how people go, oh, you know, like even yesterday, he wasn't his best round. Nope. Um, but all the attention, and you look at what are all the, like the golf websites uh, and the news stories, they lead with Tiger. You know, he's what, five, five or seven back? He's seven sure. back. Yeah. And people go, like, oh, too much attention on Tiger. Oh, yeah? Really? What we have right now is we're in this amazing position to watch one of the greatest players ever. Mm-hmm. You know, could you imagine having the opportunity to watch Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, Wayne Gretzky? You'd, you'd jump at that opportunity to see that player as much as you can. And so it's amazing to, to watch Tiger right now, and it's good for the game. And I think it's hilarious that uh, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day – <laughs> they're all kind of, oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because that, that's one of the things I, I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm the, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the biggest Tiger Woods fan, but I'm certainly the biggest Tiger Woods fan uh, for my cohort, my peer group. Um, White guys around 60. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Jewish guys from Musha, nearly 60 years old. I love this kid, this Eldrick. Matzo um, soup is excellent. Yeah, listen, Tiger, come over. We'll have a little. We'll have a little schnapps. Um, <laughs> you know, for me and other fans of, uh, you know, goats, the greatest of all time. What it is for me is is it's neat seeing how the other players on the tour are reacting to him. But I read an interesting article a couple days ago because they're all like, oh, we, this is great. Tiger's back. And they're all being very excited, but almost like, oh, Oh, crap. (laughs) No, no. Before the old crap, it's like, oh, Tiger's back. He's the greatest. It's great for the golf. It's great for the team, blah, blah, blah. And then as the weeks have gone by and Tiger's got the highest club head speed on the PGA Tour and he's smoking three woods, 320 yards, all of a sudden they're going, oh, oh, Mm. this, this isn't. You know, it's funny because the guys like Ernie Els and Stricker and Davis Love and Mickelson, they're all going, okay, kids, you're, what you're about to see is not a test. That, that dark shadow gets very cold. They ne- these kids, you know, Justin Thomas, Spieth, they weren't around. You know, last weekend at Valspar, he was in the second last group, and they were talking about how these kids have never had to play on a day where there's twenty, there's a hockey arena around every hole for Tiger, and then the oh, leaders, yeah. the leaders come up, and it could be Thursday. This huge throng, and and they, and I heard one of the guys on the broadcast say something interesting. They said, "What what's tougher, playing?" With Tiger Woods playing in front of him or playing behind him. And they said playing behind is absolutely the worst because as soon as he's down the hole, this huge throng leaves and it's noise. And there's a whole different – these kids have only heard about the Tiger Woods that we saw from, you know, 97 to 2008. But now that they're getting a little glimpse of it, I noticed that eh, Tiger, he's great. It's starting to kind of calm down a little bit. And they're all kind of looking around going, wow, i never seen that before. Yeah, exactly. Hey, didn't I used to be Jordan Spieth? That's right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, I, I just get this feeling that when Tiger's on the first tee of a tournament, now he just turns around to the camera and goes, I'm Batman. <laughs> well, it's it's really interesting to see what's what's going on. Like, I love what you're saying about how, like, the players are going, oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. Now they're getting it. Yeah. Um, like, when he, sank, I- when he sank that putt on 17 last weekend to give himself a chance – that was the tiger. That was Tiger Woods. 
That's Tiger esque. It was know, when he when that went cuts. in. Yeah, when that went in, all those young kids were like, "Oh, that's that's what all that nonsense was about." Because that's what he does that nobody else does. He was and out of it. He was he was playing crappy, and all of a sudden he wills that forty four foot putt into the hole. It was absurd. Yeah, yes. we talk about awareness on this show. I think yes. they're all getting a, a stronger awareness of their sphincters yeah. and how how when Tiger's out there oh, suddenly. Yeah. Holy crap! You couldn't hammer a nail up my with a <laughs> yeah. hammer, you know. That because, might be the funniest thing that you said. They're all getting an awareness <laughs> of their sphincters as they well, snap shut. Absolutely. I mean, that's the difference the tiger makes. Yes. And you get in that as you. I love the way you said it in that hockey arena. I mean, that is a completely different deal. Yeah. Um, because you have the greatest. You have one of the greatest players ever. And you're, he's staring you down. Now, I don't think he – he may not carry the intimidation factor of when he would just look at you, he would ice you. And I don't – sure it's there because there's a different Tiger that's showing up right now. And um, Yeah, he's a gentler. I mean – Yeah, I kind of don't know where to go with this because there's one thing that I heard and thought about. And that is I think it was – one of them was saying that Tiger now is getting – Kind of like the love, if you will, yeah. that 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 you know when uh, that Arnie, not necessarily Arnie esque. I mean, that's a different level. But you know, when Jack was Fat Jack and beating Arnie, uh, people didn't like him. So Arnie's game starts to go away. Jack slims down. He becomes more interaction with the crowds, more of the royal wave. Suddenly, Jack gets that that um, adulation. Yeah, said yeah. And now that's happening for Tiger yeah. because and so a bunch of things. He's he's given he's more eye contact with people, more signing autographs. But I think a key piece is is that you know he's this flawed human being. You know, I, I and, think I think it's and great. People he, have seen it. He seems yeah. grateful. Yeah, I, he's moved through that. And you know what? We we're talking about the chip yips and all that stuff earlier. He was. Uh, I, you know, amateur psychologist that I am, uh, he was still struggling with his place in the world. Yeah. You know, he had gone from, you know, basically fooling the world with this facade of the great family man and, and all that type of stuff and being completely outed and publicly shamed. And then, his, you know, that starts to show up in his in his body. Uh, you know, um, that stuff that you keep down I mean, people talk about that, you know, say negative energy. I know it sounds woo-woo, but when you keep all that shit down, it comes out in your body in different ways. Before and- I'm just saying, before you get too far away, and I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I mean, there's a timeline issue that people forget, but yep. I, I, what I, what I think we're seeing is a 42 year old man or human, because I don't like to identify gender. I just see human beings. Both male and female. <laughs> I said that one night in, in a club, and I was saying, "What's your name, young lady?" I went, "I'm sorry. I mean, female human." Because you can't, you can't trigger these kids. Just decide. Don't, don't they have to sign trigger, trigger uh, waivers when this, they come into a, a comedy club? This is a true story. A couple of days ago, my daughter was here with one of her friends, and I said, "How was your visit with, uh, you know, what's her name?" And she said, "It's they." I said, "Pardon me." She oh, goes, yes. "Yeah, yeah." She. It's not a she or a he. It's a they. And I said, cool. How was your visit with they? Anyway, um, but we're talking about a 42-year-old man who has come through the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. And I see him being 
grateful. I've heard him use that word. He's grateful to be back in a place, not just as a golfer, but a, he. You, you hear him say it all the time. He missed hanging out with the guys. He appreciates it more now. He's comfortable. He's just been named the president, President's Cup captain along with Ernie Els. Great. But those are the signs of maturity. So whether he, you know, and not, not to discount, what you said was absolutely true. He was outed as a flawed human being. Before that, he was just a robot that won 14 majors. I don't think the public appreciated at the time how outrageous that was. I heard this guy say a stat last night, Timmy, that at Tigers, in Tigers Prime, so 97 to 2008, there were years there where he had a scoring average of 67.6. The nearest person on the PGA Tour at, at his height, had, well, I think it was Mickelson, at 69 point something. So almost a, a, stroke, and a, half, a stroke and a half per round. Right. It was ridiculous. And that's like six shots a tournament, which is why he won 79 times. But he's a different guy now. I think as a golfer, physically, he looks better than he has in a long time. But as a guy, he's still not a great interview, but he's a better interview than he used to be because he right. seems well, more comfortable. Yeah, and he's, he's not also I, – he's, I think he's relaxed on the whole workout thing. He's yeah. not he – doesn't, he doesn't look like um, – you know, a guy who's on steroids and bench presses every day. So I think maybe there's there's a better comfort level in his body or something. But think about this. I mean, okay, so he's outed as, you know, a serial philanderer and all that stuff. And his, his game starts to go away on him. Oh, and then the back. And then <laughs> isn't it pretty well everyone's nightmare to have a mugshot of yourself gone completely viral, like, I, what, I don't know whether he was addicted or not, but, I mean, he could have freaking died that night. Mm -hmm. You know, gone over a cliff, whatever, but, I mean, that is, you're like, every dark part of you is exposed to the world. And he survived all that. And that, I would think, I, I would think that, just guessing, that Tiger's coming at the world of like, wow, I got another chance here mm -hmm. and I'm grateful. I'm grateful and I'm going to I'm going to take every opportunity. So, you know, is Tiger swinging with the same degree of let's say expectation or sense of hope that this is going to hit the fairway? Maybe it's just like, okay, I got nothing to lose here. I'm swinging for the fences and let's I'm grateful to have take a rip at it. So, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we can connect the dots to, you know, when you go out and play for the first couple of times in the season it's just it's just great to be there and he's taking advantage of it and, and maybe that's the uh, takeaway as well when you say so take that feeling of uh it's great to be there it's great to be in this moment and uh see if that can be one of the things you try and work on this year in golf that has nothing to do with you know where your backswing is you know halfway back which by the way you know i i don't want to I don't want people to think I never work on that. You know, I work on it. The last couple of weeks, I've been starting to go indoors a little bit with my buddy over at Humber there and uh, just, you know, go in the lab for an hour and just take some swings and see what my, you know, my just get into posture again. And those golf muscles that you mentioned, you know, like forearms and, you know, your arms, you know, I'm just trying to loosen up a little bit because there's a time to do that. But when Absolutely. I start, you know, I'm basically it's the uh, 17th of March. The very first golf tournament I have of any consequence 
is less than two months away. On April 30th, I'm teeing it up in a qualifier. So by that point, I should have some golf under my belt. But I'm looking at it like, you know, I had a great time in the winter. I've had a great had a great season last year. And starting from this year, all you can do is sort of enjoy the process again. Yes, and, absolutely. And try and clean up some of the things that stood in my way last year. I had some meltdowns last year. I had a couple of sections of the summer when I lost my lost my mind again you had a little club toss I remember oh yeah we talked about. Well, and i don't yeah. know if i've ever told this on the show but you know last year the saint thomas early bird which is one of the tournaments i like to play outside of london every year great event great, great event. event so on that week i played a qualifier monday i played men's night wednesday i played a 36 hole tournament at burlington and then saturday and sunday i was playing saint thomas and i played the first round I played the first round on Saturday at St. Thomas, and I shot, you know, 80-something, six, five, seven. I don't even know. Arg. Yeah. And, um, and this is last year. This is golf spiritual leader in 2017. <laughs> and I, I – the forecast for the next day was just to be rain, horrible, you know, early season golf conditions. And I was hanging out with my boys on Saturday night for dinner, and I said, you know what, guys – I just think it's better if I go home. And I did. And I, oh. I didn't make a big deal of it. I didn't. But I just could tell that I was at the, I was, it was not going to serve me well to stay one more day. And I talked it over with another buddy. And he said, well, it's up to you. He said, but uh, I just didn't, I just wasn't in a good spot. So I thought better to, and I, and I hadn't done that in a long time. And I, again, if it had been a nice day the next day, I probably would have stayed and played. But I just wasn't in the mood to play 18 holes in rain gear. You know, no, that, oh, totally. I, I totally get it. So, so, so I made a grown-up man's decision to go home. I get it. Yeah. And watch Netflix. I, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? There's um. So, if you look kind of like the data of that, I would think like, wow, this guy was fried. You were yeah. exhausted. You'd played a lot of golf, so maybe there was a mistake somewhere in your scheduling that you that you learn from. But every once in a while, like, you know. To, to say oh, I'm going home or does that mean I'm a quitter screw that sometimes you just you're kind of like what I'll call your inner wisdom says uh, <laughs> you yeah. need a break so take the break and and just get on with it so you know and, what I learned from that by the way I, the takeaway I had was so when it comes this year to go schedule those tournaments I said to my buddies I said I'm playing one or the other I'm going to play the Burlington Invitational if I get in if I don't I'll play St. Thomas if I do I'll stay in town because that's too much golf for me I had six tournament rounds in, yeah. in seven days it was too much oh uh, absolutely and I was I mean, completely that, fried that's the so you know you're just taking the learning I mean we talk about that constantly on our show is 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 something happens, yes, you can have emotional reaction to it or make all kinds of judgments, but to me, the smarter move is, okay, what did I learn from that? And I think one of the things that, that a judge you've learned, there's judgment, but um, is that you've played, you have a tendency to play too much golf yeah. and you get yourself exhausted. But one thing I want to circle back to is that, and, and I think this, is, we, this ties into what we're talking about in terms of competing, is that sometimes people misconstrue when golfers talk about, say, um, you know, kind of a heartfelt emotion like gratitude, and they, no, you know, I'm a hard-nosed competitor. I'm out here to win. I, it can be both. Absolutely, it can be both. And and like, why why do you know? I would say a lot of people who listen to our show and who are people we hang with are good. They love to compete. 
and it's getting out there and it's feeling that excitement, that's great stuff. And, you know, I think that the Tigers, he's loving that. Mm-hmm. And you know, that whole thing of like wanting to compete and do your best, that's, but they, they go together. It's be, but it's being able to bring kind of your best self to the golf course and have fun and let it go, but not be in this place of, of oh crap, I've got to do my best um, and I've got to control this and, and try hard. Because to me, that, that formula just doesn't work. It's being able to strike that balance of being able to, hey, I'm. it's almost like I think you and I were talking the other day about Jack Nicholas love the feeling of nervousness right. going going into an event because that means he cares. Well, I, I think that's what we that's why a lot a lot of people play at a higher level is that they they get that same feeling of excitement that when they played say, you know, hockey as kids or football or baseball or anything like that. But it's learning how to get into those competitive environments and not get in a way that that's the stuff that's the key stuff we talk on this show. Well, we talked about this the other day, just you and I talking about nervousness. And I had mentioned this guy that I'm, you know, I've been watching a lot of videos from a guy named Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K. And one of the things he talks about, he's a very smart. He has one of the highest, the third highest watched TED Talk of all time is this guy's called The Power of Why. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, one of the things he talked about, and this is what you and I were saying, was that Sometimes we we misconstrue nervousness as a sign of weakness. And what right. Nicholas was saying is that, you know, he likes that feeling of the butterflies and all that because, as you said, it, it made him realize or it's, it shows that you care about whatever you're about to do, whether it's speaking or going into a business call or, or going on a date. Um, but what Sin- Simon Sinek said was there's a way to interpret nervousness as excitement. And that's mm-hmm. another thing I'm going to carry into this golf season is I have been so nervous on the first tee. Last year, in a couple of the events I did very well in, my very first shot, I hit so so far behind it, I barely moved the ball. I was so <laughs> overcome with nerves. But I, right. I but what S- Simon and what I've tried to start doing with my stand-up is when I'm nervous, including last night, I was about to go on stage, and I keep telling myself that feeling I'm having is excitement, not nerves. And it's funny how just just acknowledging that you're excited yeah. versus, ah, <laughs> it yeah. just makes the experience like, wow, I must really want to do this because I'm excited to get on stage. And, and it's funny, I walked by a couple of comics last night as I was, the closer I get to my time, like I'll be watching the guy in front of me and I sort of have a sense of how long they're going to do. The closer I get to when it's my turn, the more I start to pace. Yep. So I paced by a couple of the guys that were going on after me, and they sort of looked at me, and I went, I hate this part. But in my head, I was like, that's not true. I really love this part. And, yes. I, and I've started saying that because it's a joke to go, this is the worst part. But in actual fact, I've tried to remind myself, this is why I drove all the way here. Yeah, I, drove, I love what you're talking about. Yeah. I drove all the way here so that I could go on stage in front of those people. And, and I... I felt I feel like just sometimes reconfiguring how one you know what is that thing that kids used to do the more you look at the more you look at things I don't know there's a kid thing and the more you change the oh that's it the more you change the way you look at things the things you look at change oh I love it but it's Very true nice. it's it's yeah. the when you no, change it is true. 
when you one of the, the psychologists call you re sort of you look at the point that you move the camera so i'm sitting there last night there's a bunch of people that i'm about to talk to or with and i'm getting excited but it, it it's because as simon sinek says the symptoms of nerves and excitement are exactly the same butterflies in the stomach you know a little tightening in your body maybe you breathe a little shallower all those things and we sometimes misinterpret those as weakness yeah absolutely something but- to be avoided well, to me, it's there's kind of two points to be made. Is one is when you show up to do a stand-up gig, it's it's not like this is foreign territory for you. No, and it's the same as on the on the first tee. If you go, if you went on stage and went, oh crap, I'm in a I'm in a place where I'm threatened here. I'm afraid what's going to happen. Same thing that a lot of golfers fear. Oh. Um, I could hit it into the trees. Uh, the guys looking at me could laugh, and all this. You're basically you're you're responding to the world from a place of of fear, and you could practice letting it go on the drive on the driving range all you want. But if you view the world through a lens of fear, well, it's kind of got you. Yeah. Um, so it's it's more like a, a sense of, okay, I'm uh, I got these butterflies and jumping frogs going on here, but this is my house. This is where I flourish. And the reason I'm excited is because I have joy to be there. But you know what? There's also some fear percolating. And that fear is okay because that's basically our brain is wired to keep us, A, to procreate (laughs) and to keep us alive. So it's always working on, ooh, monitoring environment. What's going to keep me safe here? What's the danger? But it's being able to balance those and, and largely getting yourself to understand God, I'm excited to be here. I have the butterflies because I care a lot. And so let me add it. Uh, what you just said, though, is interesting, too. Our brains are programmed to keep us safe. And so obviously there I'm looking at this crowd of people last night, I don't know, 100 people, and they've paid money to see some comedy. And Laugh. I, and, and I know my buddy's up there wrapping up and uh, – just before, as he's introducing me, about to say my name, then for some reason I get really calm. And I kind of yeah. go, well, because I think what happens to me, and I think it might happen to a lot of people in stressful situations like the first tee of a tournament, is just what you said. I figure I've done all this work. I kind of know what I'm about to do. I don't know how it's going to go, but I know this. In 20 minutes or 21 minutes, I'll be done driving home to get a sub. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. it's it's like, uh, no matter what happens, my kids will be fine. Stan the dog is good. You know, I'm healthy. So what could what's the worst that could happen? I absolutely bomb. And then I just get calm and, and I walk up and, and I did fine. I did, you know. Yeah, well, what's the worst, first, what's the worst thing you're going to do on the first tee somewhere? Oh, hit it left of left. Oh, how many times has, oh, yeah, Tiger Woods yeah. started off major events hitting it left of left. Yeah. It happens, you know. And But I also think what goes on there, and I, it, I've been doing a lot of public speaking lately. And Congratulations just, to Tim O'Connor for placing quite well in a recent Toastmasters competition. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just wanted you. to get that um, in there. But I, I, one of the things I did for the first time was – outside of this Toastmasters, which is, you know, I know most of the people and all that stuff, was I was part of an event called Mo Mondays, which is short for Motivational Mondays. And these things are held across Ontario, maybe even Canada. And they have like five or six speakers 
and they're held in Guelph. They're held in a, a nightclub called the Sip Club. The what so club? It's called the Sip Club. S I P, as in take a sip of your ah, adult, I see. Sip adult club. beverage. Ooh, hello. Anyways, the point I'm coming to here is that you know I've been you know I do workshops, I do speaking as a coach, etc. Um, but this is the first time in that type of environment, like in a club, lights, there's music playing when they get up there. But what I'm going to connect to what you're talking about was, yeah, I was when I was sitting there and okay, my turn's coming up and I feel the nerves a bit. But once I started walking towards the stage, it's almost like a surrender. And I think what happens is, is to a degree, is okay, unconsciously I know I've done all this work. I've been doing this for a while. I've practiced and practiced and practiced. I got this. And so the nerves are kind of like what provide the energy that mm-hmm. needs to be there to really give it and to be alive and interact. And you, know, you don't want to go up there feeling like you're asleep. But it's kind of us. It's like, all right, here we go. And next thing I know, my mouth is going, <laughs> and and it's and I'm on. Hang on, and, wait, back back to what you said about surrender. That is something very key. Uh, before you continue, uh, because no, hello, yeah. because that's what I feel. I feel, and I you know I'm on stage. I don't know. This week I've done uh, three shows. I got a show tonight, so I'll be on stage four times this week, all in stand up. Which is whether it's ten people or a hundred and ten people, it has a there's a a danger to it and even and public speaking has a danger to it that's way more stress than most people can handle that's why most people don't do it so right. imagine that first tee jitters of a big tournament or your club championship or your saturday morning money game times about a thousand because you're about to mm-hmm. walk out pretty much naked you know in your case you're trying to you know get some people to learn in my case i'm trying to get them to understand what i'm saying and laugh and it is a surrender i i literally feel that like a well I can't do anything about it now. Yeah. This it's like almost like the plane's about to take off and I'm going with it. My the job is all has left the top of the hill. All I've got to do is get it back to the ground somehow. Now, right. if I'm good, I can land it. If I'm horrible, it's just going to come crashing down. But either way, this thing's got it's it's the wheels are taking are leaving the ground and once that happens, like last night when I got on stage, I was just like, well, this is great. I did 21 minutes. I told you before the show, I did 21 minutes with about 10 minutes of material. The rest of the time, I was just talking, having fun, playing with people. And I enjoyed it because I created stuff in the moment because I was in that moment with people That's, in that room. You surrender to what you had. and just It just happens. Yes. It's like sometimes when I'm coaching clients, if I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say to this person? How am I going to how am I going to fix this? Or or so they're going to walk away thinking I'm really smart and I know my stuff. Holy crap! Look, when I let go of it, it's amazing the stuff that can sometimes just bubbles up. I go, oh, where'd that come from? And I think it's the same thing when you surrender on the first tee or on stage, which is way different than you going on stage and going. Okay, better nail this first joke because the second joke sets up the next joke, yeah. and, and then and then uh, this third joke. I just wrote it yesterday. I don't know it that well. Better focus, like trying hard, right? So you're totally disconnected from the audience. You're in a, you're in this place of trying hard, and which is the same thing as getting on the first tee, going, okay, make sure I take the club back straight and shift my weight 
and all that all that trying stuff and you're not surrendered at all you're trying and controlling tension high emotion and that just is just not a place where you flow and so i think what you're in my very long-winded way i'm sorry you just allowed yourself to flow and stuff comes up and you interact with the audience. You're having fun. You're connecting. Well, they can tell, too. You know, it's funny. You, you talk about the first tee and, and all of us thinking other things other than, you know, where am I and, and what do I want to do? Am I golfing? I'm hanging out with my friends. All that stuff that brings us to our present tense, whereas a lot of times as golfers, we're, we're recalling holes that we – last time I played this hole, I hit it in the bunker, so I don't want to do that. And yeah, all these okay. things that don't involve being where you are. And last night, you know, I started off, like, pretty well. I got a couple of laughs very quickly, a couple of big laughs. And then I kind of stopped and looked at somebody and went, you don't even know if I'm here. I could – it was almost like I could tell that before I went on, I'd better ground myself. And I actually said this. I have it on tape. I said, I'm not even sure where I am right now. I just, I said, I just need to connect with a couple of you people. And I shook the guy's hand. I said, what's your name, son? And I touched this person, not inappropriately, but I shook, <laughs> but I shook his hand and I immediately was back in the room. Yeah, exactly. And it was a Love funny it. thing. Like I, and I just did it out of, because I could tell I was a little bit running through things in my head. Right. And I, even though I got a couple laughs, I could tell that we hadn't made a connection yet. And I had to stop myself because I got to, when you're doing six minutes, you can fake it. When, right. you, when you've got to be up anything, I'll tell you what, the, the magic number is past 10. Lots of guys that I know in the stand-up world, lots of new comedians can do six to 10. Past that, now you're up there, you're, you're up there establishing a relationship. Right. And if you don't do it early, it's a it it it's a rough. The, the waters can be rough. Yeah, the exactly. seas can be trouble. So I could tell at the one minute mark or ninety second mark that even though I'd gotten some laughs, we hadn't connected yet. But once we did, I literally most comics try and uh, finish on a joke that gets a big laugh, ha ha, and good night. But I yes. didn't. I had had such a great time with them, and they really, I think they really enjoyed what I was doing, etc. that I got to the end, and I, I saw the light. I, was, I could look down at my phone. I was at 21 minutes. I said, listen, I have no more time to start something new, so I just want to say thank you very much. I hope you enjoy your headliner. Like, in complete silence, like no laugh. I uh, just said that. I said, hey, I really enjoyed this. I hope you did too. Hope you, you'll enjoy your headliner. Thank you very much. And then I got this heartfelt... Uh, sort of warm applause in a way that was different than going joke joke ha ha good night right and I thought isn't that interesting because I had spoken to them as a, as a friend as opposed to a, I'm a performer you're gonna listen to these this bullshit that I've made up yeah. it, was, it was an interesting experience well could you say, could you say then that there was no you didn't have an agenda you weren't trying to in, in effect control the audience's reactions you're just connecting like people and all right that's all i got thanks yeah. bye which is wouldn't you say that's authentic and genuine as opposed to trying to manipulate folks into an experience that you wanted rather than everyone having an, a nice time yeah and, and and let's finish this up by saying as golfers you know um the more we can be where we actually are versus where we want to be, where we used to be. Right. And we've talked about this a bunch of times, but it's a nice 
sort of uh, as we get ready to golf again to remember that that feeling of gratitude, that story you've told about the person that enjoys their first couple of rounds and then before they get serious, those are the things to remind one another as we move on because those are where the richest experiences are. And I think that's where we find the most, find out the most about ourselves. Yeah, well, I really think that in those first few rounds, people can connect more to why they play. Yes. Because I'm, I love being outside. I love being with my buddies and telling stories and because it's interesting, I look at golf these days as it's almost like an adventure. Like the four of us have, we got on the first tee and we've hit our shots, and then we all jump on the raft and we push off from shore, and we're like off this journey together. And it's just so much fun, as opposed to oh boy, today's the day that I break uh, 190, 80, and I'm going to do that because I've learned how to drop my right elbow into my right front hip and let it go. When we more connected to why we do things just it's more fun but i just want to connect to one piece you said there about um i think what you did during your show when you you uh, connect you connected with that fellow you kind of regrounded yourself yeah and and i think that that's such a huge piece of like oh like, oh where am i <laughs> take a breath um slow down and that, that's in any part of life i think that's just a that just helps just keep you more connected with yourself and others around you rather than being caught in that snowball that's come down the mountain and where is it going and how do I control it? You know, I talked about with a client yesterday, he's been really, he's, he was a classic paralysis by analysis guy, just like me. And what he's been working on throughout this winter is moving towards giving up control to gain control, mm -hmm. uh, surrender, whatever. You know, the audience, There's a, we talk about this on the Humble and Fred show. Uh, we talk about it with ourselves. Fred and I have been doing the show together 30 years. And uh, one of the things that we always say, you know, the audience doesn't know what they don't know. Like, they don't know last night that I missed a bunch of jokes I had planned to do. You know, the golf, the golf course doesn't doesn't care that you practiced your short game that week and, and then you hit a couple of bad chips. It's weird what we attach significance to. Yeah, oh, oh, I invested all this this I, week. Exactly. This is the week. This is the week I hit 14 fairways. Tim, I, I uh, <laughs> on the last half hour, this drive I had last night was like an hour and 20, but the last half hour, I just went over in my head the order that I was going to try and remember to do this stuff because I knew I had to do a little longer set and 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 I when I finished I was like oh I forgot this one thing that would have been so good with that other thing but they don't know that exactly the problem and and one last thing when you said things snowball when you're having a bad round of golf isn't it, we've talked about how it's like weird all of a sudden on a just take one hole it seems like I don't know all of a sudden things got really quick and I made a triple it's because you never slowed down and went okay I've hit one in the hazard. What's my what's my best route back to to the like, I think this guy last night I was talking about on PGA Tour Radio said McLean had a great um, phrase he said get back on schedule as quickly as you can right because a lot of times when we get in trouble as golfers it takes a while to get back on schedule we're in the woods we're still in the woods ah gosh now I'm back on the fairway in four versus if I could just chip sideways I'm back on schedule in two. Absolutely. And that you can only do that from a place of being grounded. Of really, exactly. And just like, oh, OK. And taking your time and not worrying that the guys are like you're standing there for 
five, you know, 10 seconds trying to make a decision, being worried what they may think. You just take your time and, and make the decision of like, okay, what, what really makes sense here? And, and actually, and listen to your body. But if I was you, gonna, if you, I'm not, your yeah. body will tell you if you're, if you're, if you're worried, you don't have that shot. Your body will will tell you because it's fidgeting around that you know what, just just chip it out in the fairway. What I was going to say though is how I relate that to speaking is when things start to go poorly on stage. Sometimes I'll speed up. You'll start yeah. to everything starts to spiral. It's very much the feeling you have when you make a triple. Everything starts to get quicker. You start to lose kind of confidence. You make decisions quickly. You say things in a way you wouldn't. And, and what I have tried to do, and I think it's, you know, helped with my golf as well, is when those moments happen, I kind of go, okay, where am I and what's happening right now? So, awareness, Mr. O'Connor, you're, uh, you're, uh, uh, you're a wonderful character. Um, I think you have a, a O'ConnorGolf.ca is how people find you. Um, wow, well done. Uh, you can also like our Facebook page. I think we should get more people to do that. And uh, at some point, we're going to put up details about our little uh, swing workshop. workshop retreat. Yes, there's yes. a uh, there's a directive, a missive coming this week. Apparently, yes. yes. Okay. There, there. I've, I've been doing workshops about accountability. So there we are. I've committed to the action. Um, this program brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, and of course Clublink. It won't be. Uh, there's no better time to join Club Link than now. All kinds of special deals. And Mr. O'Connor, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Yeah, and, you uh, too. Folks, listen to Humble and Fred. Thank you. If you want to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, go to our iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us, give us feedback. Thank you. Have yeah. a great week. Thank everybody. And goodness gracious, another program is done. <laughs> Hang on a second, okay? Just wait. Okay. But the horns, they blow in that sound Way on down south